0: This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper Mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress At an unbelievably fair price, it combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want, that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to Casper.com slash Glenn, Casper.com slash You're listening to the Church Boys Free Fall Q&A.
1: It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys podcast, and I have Matthew Sorens on the line. He's the U.S. Director of Church Mobilization for World Relief, and he's also the co-author of the book Seeking Refuge. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: So Thanks for coming on. You um, obviously work in a really interesting um, sector right now considering, um, A, we're in an election season, uh, B, and the reason that's important is because with terrorism and all of these things that we've had going on both in the U.S. and abroad, there's so much fear. Um, And then you have this refugee crisis, so it's sort of a perfect storm. And you're kind of in the middle of this, along with a lot of other um, aid workers who are dealing with some of these issues. So I guess, before we talk about the book, I'm just going to give you, I'm going to throw the loaded question out there for you. How should Christians react to the refugee crisis in the Middle East?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the most important thing if we're going to be christian about our response to this situation is to be grounding our response to you know what do the scriptures say not merely what does a political party say or even just even how do we think about this as americans or whatever our nationality might be but how do we think about this as christians and the way i you know i i think i grew up in a you know a great church where i thought i knew the scriptures pretty well but somehow i missed the the many many references in the bible to uh, the foreigner residing in the land and it's actually there a lot and um, you know I think that there's one of the most important themes is that Jesus himself was a refugee. you know in the the book of Matthew, we read that as a small child, uh, Joseph was born in a dream to pick up in the middle of the night and go to Egypt to escape what was basically a genocide by a tyrannical Middle Eastern king Herod. and you know that was part of Jesus's experience and we don't know very much necessarily about how they were treated when they got to Egypt. Um, you know, the text doesn't necessarily tell us that. But it's a good possibility that there were some people who welcomed them, who had compassion on them. It's also possible that there were some people who said, you know what, Joseph, we've got enough carpenters in our economy without you stealing a job. Or, <laughs> we know, we don't know what kind of diseases this kid has. Um, we've got to keep him away from our kids. And I want to make sure that the way I respond personally to the refugees who arrive in my community outside of Chicago and uh, is the way I would want to respond to Jesus himself.
1: Yeah, no, that, I think that is obviously part of the debate here. And you have a lot of Christians who have concerns, who are afraid, a lot of people in general, but that carries over, obviously, into Christians. Um, and, and this is a unique situation and a bizarre situation in a lot of ways, I think, if we're being honest about it, because it's not, you know, this isn't just the typical refugee crisis. You have this, t- this added element of, terror and assumptions about people based on where they're coming from and based on where um, the, the nationalities of people committing some of these terror attacks um, originate from. And so that, I think, complicates it for people and creates that fear. Um, let me let me ask you this. I mean, we're obviously taking refugees in, in the U.S. There have been numerous uh, governors and others who have, have restricted that, who have called for restrictions. We have um, a presidential candidate who had called for a complete Muslim ban and has since sort of retreated from that. What is your concern when you look at, the, at what's going on in politics? And I, obviously, you know, I'm not looking to get into a, into a sort of you know, putting you on a spot about your politics, but I think, you know, evangelicals and Christians in general tend to um, go a little bit more towards the Republican side. And right now we have a Republican side that maybe is embracing, you know, policies that some Christians might have problems with considering some of the things you just discussed. So what are some of your concerns based on that dynamic?
2: Yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's a new era in terms of American uh, views of refugees. I mean, I've been working at World Relief, which is one of nine agencies nationally that resettles refugees for more than 10 years now. And honestly, refugees have never really been controversial in the U.S. I mean, maybe with a very small element of the American population, but overall, um, you know, if you look at Congress, this was an issue that always had broad bipartisan support. Uh, it was I was viewed as a separate subset of the larger immigration questions, which are much more complex and controversial. Well, what do you do with people who are here illegally? But this was people who all have been screened and vetted and admitted lawfully to the United States who, by definition, a refugee had fled persecution or at least a credible fear of persecution. So they have these very sympathetic stories. And it's, I think, part of our national heritage, you know, to welcome in those who are, are fleeing persecution. Um, many of us could trace our ancestors through stories much like that. So it's been interesting because, that's never been particularly controversial in the decade I've been at world relief. And then last fall happened, and I think it was the confluence of terrorist attacks in Europe, which I understand the emotion that that raises, although I think it's really important to note that the United States has a very different uh, screening and vetting process in Europe and and can have that process because we have the Atlantic Ocean between us and these crises, not, you know, a very small section of the Mediterranean Sea. Right. Um, But also you had an election season and that, you know, gives people, uh, candidates, the incentive to find issues that will stir up some emotions on some issues that I think a lot of Americans probably didn't know very much about a refugee vetting process, um, because they've never had a reason to know about it. Um, But there is a process. That's one of the big misconceptions. Uh, It may not be completely perfect. I'm I'm always open to improvement. But it's actually a process with a a strong record. I mean, we've had more than 3 million refugees resettled to the United States since the late 1970s, and zero of them have committed an act of terrorism in the United States. Um, there's a very thorough process that everyone is required to go through. And as a Christian, I'm glad that process is there. I think God has ordained the government to do things such as keeping, you know, keeping citizens safe, keeping an orderly process. Um, But I think the confusion right now is a lot of people hear, well, we don't have any process or we have no idea who these people are. And that's just not accurate. I mean, when World relief resettles a refugee, we get a whole bunch of information from the State Department, on um, their biographic information, their health issues, all sorts of information that they have screened ahead of time and that the Department of Homeland Security has um, done an in-person interview to screen for any security concerns. They've done background checks. They've done retina scans. They've done you know, fingerprints, all those things. And that's a process that usually takes at least 18 months, often much longer. Um, it involves multiple agencies of the U.S. government, and it's actually more thorough than of a screening than any other category of immigrant or visitor to the United States is required to undergo. And I think a lot of Americans just have never known that and maybe have never had a reason to know that until they see terrorism in, on television in Europe or even in the United States. Although, again, it's important to note that none of those terrorists in the United States came in through the U.S. Refugee Settlement Program. They either are U.S. citizens in many cases or they came in through, you know, through other immigration channels.
1: Yeah, that actually is the, I was going to mention, you know, San Bernardino, Orlando, in a lot of ways... Yeah, these these are people who had lived in the country, experienced the country, and and still went on and, and to do you know these awful terrorist attacks. It's sort of it, it's a broader problem, and it, and it ca- kind of calls into question a lot of the claims that people have made, you know, about the fear of immigrants. Although, I mean, you under you can understand the fear of okay, what if, what if? And I think the process you Absolutely. just you just described is very helpful because that is you know I didn't know a lot about the process. I think a lot of us don't because, as you said we didn't we didn't need to know about it right so but now people want to be educated about it they want to know about it what i found interesting is that you know you you have mike pence kind of walking back what trump initially said about muslims um you know, but but the policy still remains restricting. Imi- well, there's two parts to it, from what I understand, and you correct me if I'm wrong. But restricting immigration from the areas where terrorism has taken a foothold, um, but creating safe spaces for those um, refugees in those countries somewhere, and sort of having these buffer zones for them while while the process is being improved or figured out for vetting. How do you respond to that policy, based on what? Yeah, you're I mean.
2: Uh, I guess I'd start with the second part, which would be, I would be 100% for safe spaces for refugees, but that's not as easy a thing to accomplish as it might sound like. That's an incredibly complex military operation in a place like Syria. Um, I want, you know, the vast majority of the refugees are never coming to the United States or to Europe or anywhere in the West. It's uh, somewhere around 1% or less who get resettled to a third country in any given year. The vast majority are in the regions neighboring where they fled. Um, so we should be primarily concerned with how do we address those root problems, how do we protect people there. But there are some uniquely vulnerable cases that we can we can assist by resettling them to the U.S. or to Canada or to, you know, Sweden or wherever, Australia. The U.S. is not the only country you know, carrying this weight. And it's not, you know, it's, again, it's a total, overall a very small number. So I think we do need to then look at, well, how do we decide who we select? And what, you know, initially um, Donald Trump had this proposal, well, no Muslims. Um, I think there were some First Amendment issues there in terms of, um, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, religious liberty concerns. But how do you screen and then that's Muslim? In some has been <laughs> expanded to, well, no, it's not about religion. It's about countries that have been, I forget the exact wording that Governor Pence has used, but have been impacted by terrorism. And even that's pretty ambiguous. It seems to suggest, well, then it's not only Muslims who are keeping out, but also Christians or Jews or others. And I think it's important for people to know. Right now, I think people hear refugee and they think Muslims. Well, if you look in the last 10 years of who's been resettled to the United States as refugees, there's been more Christians of one sort or another than of people of any other religious tradition. So if you're going to close this off, for example, if you look at Iraq, 125,000 Iraqi refugees resettled in, since 2007, most of them have been Muslims, but only barely a majority. 35% have been Christians of one sort or another. And if we're going to say no refugees from countries implicated by terrorism, not only have you, you know, thrown very vulnerable legitimate Muslim refugees who fled persecution under the bus, many of whom have served the U.S. military in one way or another, you're also throwing Christians under the bus as well, or Jews or others who may be religious minorities.
1: Yeah, it's... it's. Um... Yeah, there have been a lot of critiques of that, which I found intriguing. You know, in the last couple, in the last year or so, that the, the more recent refugees have been mostly Muslim. But I think too, people would and when you look at the demographics of these countries, they're not Christian countries, so you yeah, the majority are going to be are going to be Muslims. Um, which you know, is, and and we
2: also do take a lot of refugees. I mean, the number one country of origin of refugees last year and it will be this year as well is Burma. Which is not a Christian country, but seventy percent of the refugees are Christian because they're the ones who are uniquely persecuted. Um, so this is, you know, this is an opportunity um, to to stand by the persecuted church as well. And if we just say, "Well, there's bad things happening in that country. We don't want anyone from that country," we're abandoning some of those brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Huh. And uh, I also think it's worth. I mean, it, I don't I haven't seen anyone define what a country, you know, that has been impacted by terrorism is, but presumably that it might include France. Germany, Canada, United Kingdom, Um, you know, which realistically we can't, I don't think anyone thinks it's realistic to say no one visiting from those countries. And if we did, they might say, well, you know what, we're going to have a reciprocal idea because you have terrorism in the United States too. And, you know, I'm doing my doctoral studies in England. I might not be able to do that if I can't get into the UK because I'm from a country with issues of terrorism, which is pretty much every country in the world, depending on how that would get defined, which is, you know, not necessarily an easy thing.
1: Yeah, and well, l- listen. Let me. We're going to talk about the book in a second here, but I wanted to ask you. Know, take me through some of your work, you know, over the past decade. What are some of the things that you've done on the ground planning? Just you know, give give listeners a sense of what your experience has been, because I would imagine it's been pretty fascinating and trying and intriguing.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think both personally and, and professionally, I've been really interacting with refugees for, for about the last decade. Um, it was actually two thousand six, so just over ten years ago. I Started volunteering with World Relief as a college student, a senior in college, and a friend asked me if I would help um, volunteer with this Rwandan refugee family that World Relief had just settled. And they had four daughters and one son, and my friend felt um, that, you know, that this family might, particularly the son in this family, might benefit from having a male mentor. So I said, sure, I could do that, and I committed to visiting them once a week. And over time, they became just good friends, um, and um, with time, they, I actually moved into their apartment complex. Uh, when I finished college. So those, not only them, but people from about 20 other different countries of origin, mostly refugees who've been resettled, some other immigrants as well, became my neighbors. And, you know, I'm a Christian, and I wanted to try try to live out that command to love your neighbors yourself. That doesn't just mean the people who live next to you, uh, biblically, but in my case, those people were refugees primarily. And I found they were great neighbors, and, you know, I ate a lot of wonderful Burmese and Bhutanese and Mexican and um, uh, Iranian food over the next eight years that I lived there and gained a lot of weight, but otherwise (laughs) it was a very positive experience because um, I gained some fantastic friends and, you know, was able to help some people just as, you know, as someone who speaks English and understands the culture, but also to learn a lot from them and from their resilience. And then simultaneously, I started working at World Relief um, uh, shortly after that as a legal counselor. So my, my background is in immigration legal issues. And a big part of that was helping refugees apply for their green cards. They come in with legal status, but under the law, after one year, they're required to apply for their permanent legal status, which is the green card. After five years, they're allowed to apply for citizenship in most cases. So did a lot of those cases as well. Um, so that's kind of that was my work for about five years. And then really in the last five years, I've been working primarily with denominations and churches that are wrestling with issues of refugees and immigration and I'm trying to figure out how do we think about this, both from the perspective of our faith and from a perspective of the facts, which, you know, sometimes it's hard to sort through the myths from the facts with all the information that's out there.
1: Yeah. No. And and I think again, you know, this fear of terrorism and the increase around the world and and, I, you know, like there's so many other elements theologically and you could probably go so deep on, on, and just, you know, from a human perspective of why people are afraid and what is going on in the world. It's, it's just interesting how, as you were saying earlier, you know, after, after 10 years of working, this is sort of the first time you've seen this sort of level of, of fear. Well, let me, let me ask you, you've written a book, you've co-authored a book called Seeking Refuge on the Shores of the Global Refugee Crisis. Tell me about the book, why you wrote it, and what you're hoping people get from it.
2: Yeah, you know, so our mission at World Relief is not just to serve refugees well, though we certainly want to do that, um, both in the U.S. and globally. It's to empower local churches to serve. And frankly, when this became... It for, really, for the first time in recent history, a big political issue. You know, we began to wonder: Are churches going to be willing to continue to serve refugees, or are they going to say, "You know what? We don't want to be involved with something so controversial." Um, so we were, you know, a little bit nervous, I think, or at least a little bit cautious. And we we commissioned some research from uh, Lifeway Research, which is a Christian polling firm. They found, first of all, they found they pulled Protestant pastors in the United States. Eighty-six percent said that. There, that as Christians, we have a, a responsibility to care sacrificially for refugees and other foreigners. So theologically, it was pretty clear. But then we found that only 8% of local churches are actually doing so. Um, so there's a pretty significant gap between our theology and our, our praxis. And the same survey found that about half, slight, just, slight, just slightly less than, less than half of pastors, acknowledge that there's a sense of fear in their congregation um, regarding the arrival of refugees into their community. So, so we really wrote this book in some ways, is that we think there's a lot of pastors in particular who know this is the right thing to do, but aren't quite sure how it's going to be received by their congregation, or are leading their their congregations into, we want to welcome refugees into our community, but are getting a lot of pushback, and some of the pushback, frankly, the pushback is almost never theological. It's never, I don't think this is the right biblical passage. It's almost that was more the practical or political, you know, security, economics, those sort of things. So, Um, What we've tried to do with the book is both provide a biblical foundation, but also respond very directly to some of the concerns that are there. Not by proclaiming this is 100% safe. I mean, it's not 100% safe for you to get in your car in the morning and drive to work. There's always a small element of risk. But it's actually relatively very safe. And then to shift back to what the Scriptures say, you know, when we're commanded to love our neighbor, and Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan as an example of what that looks like, I think it's pretty hard to argue theologically that we only need to love our neighbors if it's safe. The good Samaritan who stopped by the side of the road to help someone on a dangerous part of the road was probably putting himself at a little bit of risk. That might be why the religious leaders of the time, the priest and the Levite in that story in Luke chapter 10, go by on the other side and don't stop and have compassion. But Jesus' command is to go and do likewise like that the good Samaritan who stopped and had compassion. So that's really our hope is to help local churches see the arrival of refugees as an opportunity for us to live out our faith both by serving refugees as they arrive here, but also by coming alongside churches in other parts of the world who are serving refugees also. I mean, we, World Relief, we work with churches in Jordan and other parts of the Middle East, in Germany, um, who are responding, frankly, to much larger numbers of refugees and asylum seekers. And we hope hope hopefully, this book kind of looks at this both locally and globally, both biblically and practically, and gives some people some tools for response.
1: Well, I love it, and you know, is there anything else? Any final words you'd want to share with the audience? Anything you'd want them to know that maybe we haven't had a chance to discuss?
2: Just that I I think a lot of this narrative tends to look at refugees as a burden. I mean, not you know, in the in the mainstream media, that tends to be the perspective. And my experience, as well as you know, what most economists would tell you, is that refugees can actually be a blessing. And the scriptures, I think, would have us come to that conclusion as well. Um, Hebrews thirteen tells us to not forget to entertain strangers because by doing so, some have welcomed angels. And we, you know, I don't know if any of the people I've interacted with in my community are angels, but I know that some of them have, you know, probably contributed more to my life than I have to them. And again, many of them are persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ who have a lot to teach us about what it means to follow Jesus, even when that's not easy.
1: Well, I love it, and I appreciate your time. We'll make sure we link out to the book. And uh, the book, again, is called Seeking Refuge. Thanks again for coming on today.
2: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: realestateagentsitrust.com.